Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. This is The Daily Marketer. I'm going to keep this intro short. This is our part two conversation with Brian Marcus, the VP of Global Marketing at Tune, also known as the Yoda of Affiliate Marketing. I hope you like this chat. Thanks. So for people listening, they're probably thinking at this point, affiliate sounds phenomenal as a channel. So, so why, why has it gotten a bad name? Well, I think in every marketing channel there's there are dark sides there are the tails of, of of the normal curve and i think because affiliate is not well understood people don't it's hard to describe like i can't i couldn't describe it to my grandma i couldn't describe it to you i think there's a lot of that so is a bunch of um, you know distrust and the distrust is often sort of amplified by some bad actors and i think early days when people can arbitrage or take opportunistic leaps to do things on behalf of, of an advertiser, sometimes they go too far or they break rules or rules aren't established well. And somebody's marketing for someone else and they're doing it in a way that you don't like it. So for example, you know, early days, um, your ad could end up somewhere that you don't want your ad to end up. And sure. uh, they could be running a site that you're like, oh, that doesn't look so good with my brand. Yeah. Or maybe they're figured out ways to get clicks or installs automatically and not in the best ways. Fraud. Um, uh, some of the some of the dark sides of affiliate marketing that I dealt with back in the performance days, uh, the Google affiliate days, as it became known as, was really looking into bad actors that use downloadable software to steal commissions from other from other publishers or to force clicks that didn't happen or force transactions or credit card. Uh, you know, not credit card fraud, but doing things that um, that you shouldn't have to pay out on. So I'd say back from the desktop days to the mobile days, there is always fraud in marketing. And um, I, affiliate is no exception. They're just, there's some big cases out there mm-hmm. where people got called out. In fact, when I joined uh, eBay, I had basically taken over a one of the so eBay's history real quick was they had one of the largest programs in affiliate marketing with a company called Commission Junction. Commission Junction had two affiliates that did some really bad things and they didn't control those affiliates, they didn't watch them, they didn't watch the program results, and they ended up defrauding eBay of roughly $40 million. And so uh, and these are two individual people that were using uh, cookie stuffing. Uh, to take credit away from other other traffic sources and give themselves credit, last click. And so why I'm telling you that is the 40 million bucks of fraud really irked a number of people in the uh, inside the eBay organization, including the CFO. And they basically said, this is not, this channel has got to be shut down. We're going to take that business away real quick. We're going to shut it down from Commission Junction. And we're going to take it in-house where we can control it. If we, you know, we believe in affiliate, we believe in, that, but we're not doing it that way anymore. So they were among the first programs out there to build their own technology to host their own network, not like a many-to-many network, like a eBay-to-many network, eBay as the advertiser mm-hmm. to many publishers. And so fraud was the number one reason 
that that program made that got that that program had to kind of get, get down tight, right? Tight, and yeah. and I think and that was one of the reasons that I got uh, that one of the reasons I went to eBay, which was to help them sort of reopen the store, so to speak, to the affiliate world. Help them really sort through who the good actors were from the bad actors. Help them get back in and build confidence with the CFO and their team. And then help them like really maximize that asset, which was this really wonderful idea uh, of being able to control your own relationships beyond just your own marketing, letting other people market for you and doing it at scale. And that was, we had big, big, big budgets by the, in two years that I was there, you know, we ended up with some, some very large budgets to work with, again, the affiliate channel. Fraud is really the, the dark side. Fraud, okay. And at eBay Affiliate Network, that was sellers referring other sellers to sell on the platform, or was it also a shopper side? No, eBay Partner Network was actually a network of getting uh, getting publishers to sign up to drive traffic to eBay sellers. Okay. So we, to eBay. Okay. So eBay was their destination. Yeah. But the sellers would that that was how we worked for sellers on their behalf was to drive acquisition programs on their behalf so they didn't have to go out there and market themselves. Okay. So okay. we drive all these thousands and millions of, of buyers to eBay. And uh, then we'd have to figure out sort of who were the best affinities for certain sellers, for example, on the partner side. We'd have to figure out how to get like large groups of electronics types of publishers and merchandise like retail or clothing and apparel types of, of publishers. And we'd match the assortment of product to the distribution of types of publishers we'd work with, and we would be their marketing arm, so to speak. And, and it seemed you really got things to turn around after you came there, didn't you? Yeah, we sure did. We, we spent, uh, I, I had this whole initiative when I joined, uh, it was in a, another election year. And my whole thesis was, how do I earn back the trust of partners that had been good partners that had been shut out of this program? And they were like really above board, great actors, like part of a great community. So I, I launched this strategy called Votes, and I wanted to get their vote. And it stood for being valuable, open, transparent, easy, and scalable. These were This was my commitment to them mm-hmm. that we were going to do. And uh, actually, when I was at eBay, uh, we had done some pretty dramatic things in a very short period of time. One being, we completely changed our pricing to affiliates. In fact, um, uh, Harvard uh, business case, there was a Harvard business case on eBay partner network. And I got to work with uh, the professor that wrote the case to write a part D. I was the part D. And it was a pricing study on how the pricing of affiliate traffic dramatically changed the composition of types of publishers and, and the impacts of that. And I got to actually teach the class at Harvard. Uh, I got to guest lecture much like I did at UW. But uh, really dramatic stuff at, at eBay. Big, big, like eBay was the place when I was at Google that we would look at and say, boy, these guys do radical things in the affiliate space. Like they had, uh, a, pro- they had a pricing program called Quality Click Pricing where they would build this giant algorithm to determine how much they were going to pay publishers based on the lifetime value of the customer, the incoming click, Ooh. how much they sold, like Ooh. super programmatic, super programmatic stuff. And guess what I did? I took it out. It was way too complicated, way too sophisticated for somebody who had hundreds of other advertisers they were working with trying to optimize for that. I was like, 
guys, this is not going to work for the affiliate publisher. They they need to know, you got to be transparent with them, how they optimize against eBay so they can drive more sales. It was really a, a, quite an interesting uh, lesson. Yeah, you were like, let's take away this gigantic calculator the size of a building. <laughs> like They don't want to put any numbers in there. They just want to know the number, right? And and which could be figured out more easily without the complication. Sure, well, we, we went from having the most sophisticated pricing algorithm noted by Harvard business cases to the simplest form called the revenue share by mm. category. And we basically gave them a share of, you know, a good portion of the revenue that they brought into eBay, which was typically uh, a portion of the take rate, uh, the, to- the network toll uh, that you'd get. And we shared that up to anywhere from 50 to 80% of the revenue that they helped create. We, we gave back to publishers. So 50 to 80 so it wasn't the transaction. It was the, uh, I can't remember what they called it. It was basically you'd, uh, uh, the network fee for being in the uh, eBay network, the the extra cost that eBay would take when you buy something on eBay. We took that margin and divided, it could be up to 50 to, in some cases, 80% of that value and gave it to publishers, depending on the category. So we had we had really made it easy for people to be like, I want to optimize against that. I want to get 50% or 80% of that sale because it's mm-hmm. a high ticket item or a high margin item. Okay. Yeah, because it would vary by product. It would vary by product. And, you know, Amazon, quite frankly, was very good at doing that. And eBay, we had, again, the, wor- the world's most complicated, most sophisticated, most beautiful model that drove everybody nuts and they didn't know how to optimize. We looked over at the Amazon side and we said, geez, They've really made this dead simple. It's like, here's here's the category, here's how much you make, drive us business, go. It's not brilliant. It it was uh, it was a fast follower strategy, but it was certainly well understood with publishers and those that knew how to do a good job. That was the goal: was make it easy. It's part of my votes. Uh, my strategy was make it easy for these guys, make it transparent. It seems like simplicity is a common thread uh, in making an affiliate program a success. Do you agree? Oh, absolutely. I, I think if, if you put yourself in the publisher's shoes, and I let's just take an example. I, if you are a member of Rakuten Rewards, you know that there are thousands of deals at any one time that you can you can take advantage of, thousands of rebates you can get through shopping for them. So if you think about it from the Rakuten perspective, they have thousands of relationships with advertisers. And every one of those advertisers are saying, give me the best spot on your website Give me, I want to drive the biggest rebate. And so they have to think to themselves, how do I optimize against everybody's rate card? How do I optimize against everybody's wishes and their policies and the way they want to market? So the easier you as an advertiser can be to make it simple for them, the greater, less friction there is in these relationships. And I think that's kind of the name of the game is taking the friction out of the relationship, letting them do what they do best, giving them the asset they need to make your brand stand out. It connects to what you said of having a good a good partnership being built built on transparency, right? That that's that transparency is it's like this doesn't need to be like a financial advisor meeting with the sixty five year old woman around her pension fund and explaining all the complexities of investment vehicles. It's like, no, I want to help you understand this, and I want us both to to win out of it. Totally, and you know the the naming of the affiliate channel. It's it's been sort of largely named the affiliate channel for many many years, and there's been a big movement out there to sort of broaden the the, the lens 
on thinking of these partnerships as really just true partnerships. And there's a spectrum of them, right? So an affiliate relationship may be those that are like sort of professional people making their business on a CPA basis, Um, like people who have websites, companies that corporations that have websites built out for that BuzzFeed, you know, sites like that, uh, uh, large businesses. But then there's all sorts of other partnerships now that range from uh, like influencer relationships where people have their own audiences to even just business partnerships that long have written big red line contracts that want to move them into more standardized operating environments and want to shift some of the accountability onto sort of a performance basis. So anything that can be measured should be considered partnership marketing. So affiliates, I consider we consider partnership marketing sort of the umbrella. Mm-hmm. Affiliate marketing is now a big, big part of that umbrella and will always be and is a huge, huge part of what I'm passionate about. Yeah. But I also see that as businesses understand what other businesses can do for them when they build that trust and they have the accountability, all of a sudden, any relationship you do with somebody else, if it can be measured, can be turned into a performance-based relationship. And therefore, I think um, the world is starting to look broader beyond affiliates and think about partner marketing. That's kind of a tune. That's what we call it. We call it partner marketing, even though not everybody does yet. I think that's the category now that's been sort of mm-hmm. developed as a partner marketing category, along with the networks. There's SaaS products that um, that take that unbundle some of those services that the old network traditional networks used, and now just give advertisers like the old eBay's of the world the technology to to run their own networks. Because it's all measurable now, so might as well be more of a partnership. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So if I'm a if I'm an e-commerce company and, you know, say I'm a startup, I'm selling something direct to consumer, Tempur-Pedic pillows. How do, how do I get good at leveraging affiliate marketing if I want to? Sure. I mean, there was a time where you would not go to the affiliate channel uh, to start up a business. There was a time, but that, those times have changed. And I actually, when I think about it, what's really great about the partner channel for a D2C company is that typically there is a special concept around a D2C product um, requires a certain type of audience and a certain type of uh, insight on that audience that these D2C companies need to sort of stand out, cut through the clutter. And that's where partner marketing comes in because there's all these niche sites that build their worlds around those topics. So if you're a financial services product or you're a nutrition product or you have certain exercise programs and all sorts of stuff, services now, the the different uh, services that have been sort of built because of the internet, all of a sudden you need not the standard CPM kind of site to go market your stuff. You're not going to cut through the clutter. You need somebody who's going to work for you to find that audience, maybe an influencer, Maybe somebody who's got that audience already in hand that they can trust to start to talk up your product. And if you can convince those audience, those 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 types of people to carry your product, it's game changing. When I was uh, earlier uh, at uh, at Tune, when we started getting even like subscription type services, like subscription boxes, um, took off in the affiliate and partner channel because of the very very specialized influencer channel. FabFitFun was uh, one that I can think of that came out of nowhere. It was like the first 
Fox company that you're like, what, what is this? I started seeing all the people in my team, you know, subscribing to it. And I realized, you know, they were, they turned out they were a client of, uh, of tunes. But when I looked at the distribution of where traffic was coming from, it was heavily, heavily influenced by influencers, very niche types of partners. And they love those. And the thing is, you don't want everybody like owning those relationships. You, those are your relationships. So you got to build super tight relationships with those guys. And then you own that channel. So I'd say smaller, I, w- I won't say, you know, businesses that have something interesting to sell, businesses that have a unique angle that uh, often direct consumer type of businesses have a real shot at using a partnership channel and getting great, great outcomes from that. Let's let's break it down for them a little bit. So let's say it, it is the Tempur-Pedic Pill, D2C company. Where should I start? Should I tr- make a list of blogs or influencers that might share a similar audience uh, as I do? Yeah, it is the challenge of um, uh, finding publishers is so, some, sometimes some of the hardest parts of, of working, especially as a smaller, call it less lesser known brand. Um, if you're a big brand, publishers are going to, they, they know they're going to make money on you and they're going to go, you're going to get first place in line. Um, you've got to use tools, discovery tools, that go out there, and um, there's a, a, a number of them. I mean, we work with a company, a tune called Publisher Discovery. They're a software company that has basically taken the technology of uh, going out uh, into the world and looking at sites that drive affiliate traffic based on their UTMs and whatever whatever code is in the in the links, and they're able to assemble sort of curated hmm. types of sites where you can start to break down who is good at these topics. You can obviously do things very simply through Google searches and uh, running, running. there's all sorts of uh, search tools where you can start to look at putting keywords in and figuring out where, where, who shows up when you put those keywords in. But your job should be to do that like at scale. So you need to have some tools that, that work with that. Affiliate networks themselves. So if you're like, for example, we believe very strongly at Tune that you should work with other affiliate networks. We're not a network, we're technology, right? So we we could care who you work with. We want to connect you, an advertiser, to any source of distribution that will work for you. So if you are a D2C company that needs distribution at scale, you could actually work with like like the content bloggers that I was talking to you about. You could work with networks that pre-assemble those types of audiences and do all the hard work for you in the recruitment side, you know, buy the mutual fund, right? Don't go for the, the single stock mm-hmm. and just go buy the S&P 500. You go, go buy a guy, go buy some affiliate traffic from a, a network and make that a part of your mix. So I'd say it's a mix. It's, it's one of the big analogies I can't help but falling back to is really money management. Thinking of yourself as running a portfolio of traffic uh, and in this case, traffic that has varying degrees of risk. You know, there's sites out there where people where are like blue chip stocks, where you know that they can drive money for you and that they're well-known big names. And then there's lesser known sites where you have to do a little more investigation. You need a mix of all these because you need a pipeline of strongly established sites and sites that are going to take off with your brand where you're the first in line to go work with them. So think of think of this like a sales pipeline. You need to constantly be nurturing, like not just one and done. Like you got to be out there weekly looking and harvesting relationships. Yeah. Dig the well before you're thirsty. 
with with affiliate maybe right that's exactly that's it yeah, exactly exactly so let's say i've i've i'm using a, an affiliate network or I, i've used a discovery tool and i've 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 found some affiliates or some blog sites now maybe the question that's begged is well how much am i willing to pay for a customer coming to my site how should someone go about figuring that out well you you give a really good example of i mean if you are if you are basing your, so there's cost per, there's revenue sharing, like cost per sale uh, types of arrangements. And that typically is a percentage of revenue that you drive in or a percentage of this, of the basket. And then there's cost per uh, actions, like a subscription or an install. Um, I'd say on the cost per action side, you tend to want to first understand your lifetime value. You want to understand what that lifetime value metric is. And then you want to be able to understand the recurrence of that, um, how many times you need to break even on that, uh, used to call them continuity programs, right? Where you're basically got the first bump and then recurring revenue. So you need to know what your break even is. And then you need to go out and look at what your competition is doing in the affiliate channel. And you have to set those metrics somewhere in between. It depends on how how good your conversion rate is. Like if you've got a great conversion rate, maybe you don't need to spend as much on affiliate traffic. You can just they can make it up in volume. And if you can convince them to do that, you just need the met- you need to bring the, the metrics to the publishers to say, this is what our site does versus call it a, a retail program where there are sites out there. We used to, there used to be a tool called, I can't even spell it. It's called like something like every reward. It stood for every reward. I don't know if you could quote me on that one, but what they used to do is they used to give you all the passback, consumer passbacks that uh, reward what's a, what's a passback? A passback would be, we'll take a Rakuten again. Let's just say you shop through Rakuten and you get a rebate. Mm-hmm. That rebate is the passback. So the affiliate makes a commission. They carve out 50 to 60% of that commission and give it to you in the form of a rebate. Okay. So there were sites out there that would give you competitive intelligence to say, um, here are the passbacks by category, by website, and then you could back into what commission rate, knowing the percent that they pass back. So you'd want to triangulate your price by looking at competitive factors, your margin, how much margin you're willing to give away, and just and your metrics, your conversion metrics, on how whether you want to price it on a volume basis or on a premium basis. Do you have any recommended tools for looking at competition in, in that vein? If I could actually tell you if every ward still exists, that would be one. I can I can uh, give you those resources later. Make sure that that happens. It is really interesting. I mean, you you have to uh, as a, as an advertiser, maybe knowing and going into other networks and signing up with multiple networks would give you some exposure. So let's just say like you're back in the day, like I was at JC Winnie, and you're working with Performix and Commission Junction. So you've got multiple networks. You can go into uh, the interfaces of those networks and see what people are paying for category. And you can start to get a feel for what those benchmarks are. So the metrics that affiliates tend to use on the retail side to make their business work is called uh, earnings per click. So they look at an EPC, earnings per thousand clicks. And their job is to make sure that their revenue they bring in is greater than the cost that they spend out in the uh, in, in to acquire that traffic on your behalf. So the goal would be to look at EPCs as you're in the network and be able to benchmark yourself against like-minded advertisers. So let's say you're shopping for publishers out there on a network, you should be able to see what they're doing with other advertisers 
through some of those interfaces. You can do some reconnaissance. Beautiful. Okay. Thanks for that. And do you have one piece of advice? What would be one piece of advice you can offer to a founder or a startup marketer? Well, I think I think what you need to do in as a as sort of new to the channel is you'd have to come into this channel with the perspective of help the publisher help you. Like the Jerry Maguire kind of quote, help me help, help you, you, right? Uh, yeah. <laughs> help me. So I I that's my best advice is to come to the table with the most welcoming uh, welcome you can give somebody as a publisher, meaning open your front door and make sure they have all the right things they need, including metrics that will blow them away. So if you have a great product that's that's not particularly well-known to everybody, but within a niche, you should tell that publisher, give them the metrics. They can figure out if they want to work with you or not really, really quickly. Don't be afraid to just to hide those metrics because you're worried that you're going to try to outsmart them on the negotiation. I think the best relationships are those that are much more transparent and saying, here's what I'm willing to pay. Here's why I'm willing to pay it. Here's my business and why it's so darn attractive, should be attractive to you. And here's my value proposition. So like, how do we start? That's how, yep. that's my advice. Laid on the table. Laid on the table. Awesome. So we like to do something called rapid growth questions. Are you ready? I'm ready. Okay. Greatest marketer ever. Steve Jobs. Marketing newsletter you read a lot. I tend to subscribe to everything from sort of ad exchanger to uh, everything back to the media post days. Um, I have so many emails in my box. I tend to, I don't even know who they are these days. I just scan them for the content in the preview panel, so to speak. But you're like you're I, like subheader. Okay, I'm good. <laughs> I do a lot of reading of in the channel itself, mm-hmm. and I I have uh, I do a lot of reconnaissance and looking at my competition and understanding what they're doing um, just by being in the space. You know, performance in is a good um, source of really industry in. now. Uh-huh. Performance in I think is a great if you're interested in sort of yeah. getting affiliate type of um, information. I'd say performance in is is a great uh, avenue for that. Okay. Marketing blog, you read a lot. When I think about where I spend my time, it's typically, I'm, I'm trying to think of the names of these of these companies. They're not like, there's so many media sources these days. I honestly, I, I take in feeds like, like there's no other and I probably am not super brand loyal. I look for alerts, my Google alerts and things that come in on a topic basis. I'll have to follow up with you on these. This is not, you can rename this in my section, the least rapid. <laughs> slow, slow growth <laughs> questions. <laughs> no, that's, that's great. Okay. Well, let's, let's keep on going. I, you, I, read I, my, you can read the tune blog, which I think is. Oh, quite, there we go. Yeah. The tune blog is quite, quite. How do you, uh, how do you get to that? What's the, what's the website? Tune.com slash blog. Okay. And there you go. You can, you can read really a whole bunch of topics around performance marketing. Love it. Okay. Best marketing book of all time. Caveat, it doesn't have to be a book that's directly about marketing. It could be a different guest. They said The Art of Seduction by Robert Greene, for example. Man, um, so outside of The Ultimate Guide to Partner Marketing written by yours truly, I, I can't, uh, I really don't want to, I don't want to pat myself on the back. I've spent the most time making that book. Well, the best marketing book, you know, I mean, 
I've read a lot of, you know, the Seth Godin's of the world. I go way back into direct marketing and strategy books, uh, even down to Porter's uh, Five Forces uh, work, you know. So of all time, who's the best? I mean, Steve Jobs, I read the, I actually read his autobiography. and I He did an auto? Was, oh, uh, sorry, he did not do an auto. They wrote a book called Jobs. Oh, was that the Walter book. Isaacson one? It is. It oh, is. I love and that I, book. Yeah, I, I love that book, and uh, that was one of the one of the more interesting. And I love the products that Apple puts out. And I would say, like, if I think about somebody who really thinks like just this is the most pure sort of marketer of all time, I'd say Steve Jobs. So that would that that book on Steve Jobs was probably one of the most interesting journeys I've ever seen building the Apple brand. Wonderful. Best TED Talk. I don't watch a ton of TED Talks anymore. Um, clearly, I, I, maybe I have my head too deep into this channel. Like all I do is is is, is read affiliate marketing stuff, but uh, I don't do a whole lot of TED Talks these days, Jacob. I'm, uh, it's not where I get my news these days. What's your favorite TED Talk? Yeah, I, I haven't watched a TED Talk in maybe five <laughs> years. I, I just feel like that, you know everyone talks. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, here's the dirty secret. At some point in your career, it's kind of funny you stop reading all sorts of things from other people all the time and you start creating your own points of view. And it's funny. Cause like, I think, you know, that's going to sound very self-serving. Um, but I don't have a ton of time to read books these days, just in the stage of my life and in my career. And I do a lot more writing than reading. So I, that's why I find myself answering these questions. Um, I, I consume just a ton of data as fast as I can from places, but I, I don't find myself sitting down by the fire and flipping through a big book anymore. I did that a lot of that in business school and, and beyond, but um, I find myself re- reading like speed reading media mm. through my news, like my Google news feeds or my business feeds used to be like an avid Wall Street Journal reader back in the day until they made it hard for me to go digital. Um, that's where you know, I used to read a lot of magazines like Wired and and uh, Fast Company and things like that. You know, in magazines these days, I just get online. So this is why I'm having the tangible book, tangible magazine. You know, it's been it's been such a change in the way that we consume data that I think it's become sort of commoditized in some ways. And it's helped me actually just sit down and say, what do I have to contribute here? Um, I do a lot of blog posting uh, on Tune. I, I wrote this book on partner marketing, which I'm sure is a real snore for anybody who doesn't care. I but, read the book. Uh, I thought it was you, great. You were unbelievable, actually. You read. I, I know you read almost every word because you you were you went through and you you helped me sort of think it think it through. So thank you for that. But that's where I think that's where I think I am at is just really helping this channel sort of yeah. take what I've learned in all these wonderful places, Google, eBay, Teespring, uh, consulting, and taking all those patterns that I've seen and trying to help others apply those learnings to a really, really interesting channel that no one knows about. I love it. That's that's the best answer to this question we've gotten so far. So I'm going <laughs> to earmark that one. How about, how about best talk by Brian Marcus that maybe we can put in the show notes for you? Tied for first. Here we go. I had two. One was a talk that I gave uh, at um, a show in San Francisco back about, um, call it eight years ago, uh, where I actually met, uh, it it was during the time where I was leaving Google and uh, started eBay, and uh, it was that time the industry was shifting. And um, uh, I met the guys that I'm now working with at Tune at that show. So the idea of the the speech that I gave was why, why private networks required 
enormous scale to, to run, like an eBay type of program. And uh, it was at that talk that I learned from my audience members who turned out to be my tune people that um, the world was really shifting fast from the eBay big private network model to anybody. Could, it was like becoming democratized with software like that the guys at, at has offers now called Tune, where, what they were developing. So that speech, I think, was both informative to others about the world as, as shifting to a private network world and also really informative to me as I started to really change my thinking about SaaS stuff. And it was really, it was like an inflection point moment where that's when I started really believing that a place like eBay or others should really be thinking about running their program on SaaS software. So, and that's where I got a lot of engagement from the audience, sort of how how to make that turn. So I love that Mm. moment. And uh, the other moment was actually this year at the Affiliate Summit, I was on a panel with uh, six CEOs of my competitors. And um, it was one of the most interesting times to be on stage. Here I was like in a place where people don't like to talk about their trade secrets. And uh, I was on this panel with six really competitive uh, entities, SaaS players, networks, Mm. you name it. And the idea was, how do we bring this world together? And how do we shift from being affiliate marketers to partner marketers, led by a guy named Bob Glazer, who wrote the book called Performance Partnerships. And I I found that session to be an incredible interchange between really smart people who understand this channel. And I found it a moment that uh, I was able to sort of challenge the industry to become more open in thinking about this business. And I actually posited the challenge to the guys on the panel in a, in a moment that it felt like it was a really interesting turning point, perhaps even for the partner space. So those are my two, sorry, I changed your question, but those are the two moments that stick out as like inflection point moments for me in speaking and um, at Affiliate Summit and conference that Gino Prusikoff put together many years ago, where all these really interesting people in a very small setting got together and changed the world of, uh, of affiliate marketing. And the name of that Affiliate Summit chat was Partner versus Affiliate. Is it one or the other? Is that right? Uh, yeah, I believe it is the Affiliate Summit chat, Partner versus Affiliate. Yep. one okay. of the, Is it one or the other? Yes. Okay, I found it. I got it. I actually watched it before we chatted. Yeah, I thought that was really good. There's, there's so much, there's so much energy in that conversation too. Well, these you had the most competitive group of people together mm-hmm. on stage. It got pretty uh, intense, and it was a moment where I kind of thought this is about turning points. And uh, it was both a very personal moment, and it was a moment that I felt really proud to be part of an organization that sort of was sort of driving the open sort of play in trying to open up the networks to driving more, growing the size of the pie and coming to the table with like a real solution that could do it without just talking about it. Right. Yeah. Like how, how do networks get to play together without taking market share from each other? Like where, where does that exist? You know, there, there's solutions and we believe in that. And that's something I'm, I'm really excited about as a, uh, being being sort of a spokesperson for a place like Tune is, I think it really aligns with what I believe in in this channel, and it's the next phase of where I think this channel's gotta go. Uh, there's so much green space left to get that fighting over the same client, flipping them over from one network to another, it's just not useful anymore. It's just small chips, right? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. 
Uh, and last slow growth question, what marketing advice do you give that very few follow? Spend your life in deep in the affiliate channel. It's a good place to go. Partnerships are the future. You don't get many people jumping in to the affiliate channel unless they know about it or have a got a taste of it. Uh, but it is by far the most interesting channel to explore. And it is by far the channel you will learn the most because it is essentially every business model out there on a certain pricing mechanism. So my advice is check this channel out. You can actually, there's quite a long road ahead for a career in this type of channel, but I don't expect everybody to follow. It's going to take a certain type of person that is going to be like, yeah, you know, that is kind of interesting. And then dips their toe in and is like, whoa, all right. I, I see the world now through a completely different lens. Yeah. And er everything I see now is, is, is like referral links and, <laughs> you know, affiliate marketing. Um, so that would be the best answer I can, I could probably give. Amen. I, I stand behind that too. Uh, and do you have any asks of the audience? And this might be in regards to, you know, some writing that you have, uh, maybe, maybe, you know, specific to tune even. I, I would definitely say if you're interested in, in, uh, in anything around affiliate or partner marketing, feel free to find me, contact me, talk to me. I, I have, I do have some good resources, not just the book I wrote, but uh, if if you really want to learn soup to nuts, the channel, I'm happy to provide that to your audience and uh, use it as a resource. You, you know, we don't have to get super formal about it. I'd love to do that for for your audience. If they're interested in the book, they can contact you, and you can give me a list of people. We can we could send out a link to the ultimate guide. And if you're interested in starting an affiliate and advertiser program, you should you should look up Tune. You should talk to me. Um, uh, and we'll be able to, to get you to the right person. I, I'm in marketing. I'm not a salesperson, but I, I, I can certainly work through a scenario or use case with people if, if, if it feels like the right uh, opportunity. Beautiful. Awesome. Well, Brian, thanks so much for coming on the show. And this is, this is a really fun conversation. This was a really fun conversation for me too, Jacob. Thanks for uh, it's. Uh, I, I know you're uh, an affiliate fan. I know you're hooked. I know you've you've you've. you've seen I drink the juice. I do <laughs> daily. And it is uh, it is really one of those things that I hope uh, others embrace. And and I, I really look forward to seeing you know what affiliate marketing looks like. You know, 10, 20 years from now, I, I feel like it's like such an evolving uh, medium for marketing that uh, it's got a lot of upside. So amen to that. Yeah. Thanks for inviting me on the show. Thanks so much, Brian. Yo, thanks for listening to that two part conversation with our guest. I really do hope I'm creating some value for you and making the journey of entrepreneurship a little less noisy, a little less lonely, and a little less stressful. Before you go, I want to ask you for one small favor. If you liked what you heard, please help grow the show with me by either one, reviewing on Apple Podcasts, or two, subscribing to the show. To sweeten the deal, we're going to do something a little special. If you review the show on Apple Podcasts, I'm going to enter you into a $50 Amazon gift card contest, which we're going to announce the winner of every other week. It's simple. Review the show on Apple Podcasts. It's that little purple podcast app on your phone. Go to the show, scroll to the bottom, and hit review. 10 seconds, 10 words, very easy, and be entered into a raffle for a $50 Amazon gift card, which we're gonna announce the winner of every other Thursday. It's free money, you gotta love that, and it's easy to do. 
you wouldn't mind doing that, that would be amazing. Thanks and take care and good night.